This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. One of the most shocking experiences that I have had since leaving the cult of William Branham was the time that I realized exactly what William Branham was referring to when he spoke of that amber light that came when his angel was present. Up until that time, I actually thought that the whole angel thing was some sort of a publicity stunt since none of his descriptions of that angel match in his testimonies, and because he prayed to it as though it were some sort of deity. And we all know that Jesus Christ is above the angels, so praying to an angel, even if it were an angel of God, is dreadfully wrong. Amber is a color that is between orange and yellow. When the artist retouched the halo, the picture that William Branham claimed was the angel of God, the picture with the fluorescent light bulbs from the Houston Coliseum that William Branham paid George J. Lacey to authenticate, they typically paint a fluorescent light with a yellowish-orangish hue. They often paint it yellow with the fringe of orange all around the fluorescent light bulb itself. But for whatever purpose, William Branham used the wrong color name when he described the color. He would often call it an amber light. And you've heard your pastors call it an amber light. But while he's calling it an amber light, his descriptions were not orange and yellow. It was green and yellow. Green and yellow do not make amber. In his description in 1947, this is a sermon entitled, The Angel of the Lord. Branham calls it a great star. Just like the pillars of Asheroth, a great star. The light was of a, he says, more of a green, between green and yellow, shining on the floor. Then he gets into this ever-changing description of this angel, and why is he hiding the angel? Knowing now that William Branham taught from the works of many other cult masterminds, such as Charles Taze Russell and Joseph Smith, I actually lean more 
towards the angel story being partly true, save the this angel was Jesus Christ part, because we all certainly know that according to scriptures, Jesus is above the angels. And when Branham prayed to it, there was a clear separation in his prayer between God and this angel he prayed to. So Branham himself realized that this angel was not God. In fact, he says, I don't know what you are. In Wicca, what the old timers used to call witchcraft, the angel that brought healing cast a greenish yellowish hue. Not orangish yellow, a greenish yellowish hue. There are so many descriptions out there of conjuring up the spirit in Wicca and how the room fills with this emerald colored tint to those who can see it. And not everyone can see it. But because it is indeed an incantation, so many of the cult of William Branham are so deeply into numerologies and other pagan practices that they do, thinking it's in the name of God. I'm not going to describe those incantations, but they are out there on the internet. You can read them to those of you who are strong enough not to get empowered by Satan. So I won't describe the incantation itself, but after the incantations in these descriptions, many describe what happens when the angel that they call Raphael, an elemental spirit of healing, they describe what happens when that elemental spirit comes near. One description is this. When asked for healing assistance, Raphael surrounds and nurtures the people with the emerald green color of his halo. Green is the color of healing, and clairvoyant people may see emerald green sparkles whenever Raphael is around. It goes on to say, you can also work with the angel Raphael to heal others. We are all beings of light, and anyone can work with healing energy and assist in another person's healing. You do not need any special training to do this type of healing work. You just act as a channel for the healing energy. That is a description from a person who worships and is trapped into Wicca, witchcraft. To those of you who actually study the words of what you call the prophet, how familiar does this sound to you? We're all beings of light. You just need to channel that healing energy, surrounding the people with a greenish yellowish light, or sometimes he calls amber. How familiar does this sound to you? When William Branham taught faith healing and how to boost one's faith, faith in faith, boost one's faith to be healed, he often described that these things that we just heard in Wiccan healing, he often described them in his ministry, and he applied them to his angel. 1950, looking to the unseen, and I felt the angel of the Lord coming near. I raised up. Shining down through the little dogwood bush was a yellowish-green light. Now that time he did not use the word amber. He called it like the colors he saw, yellowish-green light. 1955, 
faith in action. And when we find out today that your body is made up of light meters, exactly what the Wiccans just called it, exactly what the Gnostics, in the days whenever they were rebuked by the early church, exactly what they called it, they were falling into pagan worship and they were conjuring up elemental spirits. George J. Lacey, 1954, <laughs> a sermon entitled The Maniac of Gadara, uh, coincidental title, uh, William Branham says this, he says, George J. Lacey said, it looked like an emerald light, a burning with flapping flames, like that as it whirled and whirled and whirled around like that. Looked like it was going in a circle, whirling around. So George J. Lacey, if this story is true, half of them aren't, George J. Lacey said that it was an emerald light. 1955, Blind Bartimaeus, William Branham says this, The angel of the Lord is a light. It's a pillar of fire, see? Just a light, an emerald-like light, burning, and it moves and moves, and sometimes it's a human soul. You're just all like under control. Boo! I'm joking about the boo, but this is serious stuff. Read that last part very carefully. It's just a human soul. You're just all like under control. In the cult, you know that it is wrong to worship an angel. You know this. You're reading the same Bible that says that Satan disguises himself as a beacon of light or an angel of light, and it says that it is wrong to worship the angels. People in the Bible were rebuked for worshiping the angels, even for worshiping the prophets. The body of Moses was taken away so that the people would not fall into idolatry. It's wrong to pray to it like William Branham did. It causes your mind to block it. Your programming kicks in with denial and cognit cognitive dissonance. But could it be that your cognitive dissonance comes from being under control of an angel and not one of the good ones? Wouldn't you rather be led by the Holy Spirit than to be under control of an angel that is used in witchcraft? Branham's Wiccan theology was not just limited to his angel although that was a good part of it. Branham taught from his Bible as though it were a book of spells. He taught as though the Bible were a book of incantations. He refused to read Scripture in context. I don't know why the man did not want to read a chapter in the Bible, but he refused to. Go back and try to find a sermon where he actually read the entire context. You'll do very good if you find one. Instead, he would take this little verse as my context. And what he would do, he would combine spells, taking one verse and taking another and adding it to another verse and inventing new spells. I have no doubt but what he could see into the spiritual realm as to what was happening when he manhandled the Word of God. I'm sure that that demon liked it. 
And after he said that the demon had the people under its possession and control, right after that statement, he says this, And I know just where the skeptic is sitting. I know where the believer is sitting. I have to watch it exactly. And when that moves, it's a conflict. It's in spirit life. This is very serious, very scary stuff, people. We have a man who's praying to an angel, not God. And that angel, he says, has you under control. And that angel is casting the same colors as we see in Wicca, as we see in Hinduism, as we see in many, many, time after time, pagan religions. I had a guy from Africa contact me and says, I can't believe I've never seen this. It's a green light. That's what they do in Africa. He's talking about witch doctors. And you're worshiping it. Even baptism, even baptism became an, enchant an enchantment that required an incantation in Branham's theology. Branham taught that if the minister did not use the correct incantation, that they would not be elect or joined to his demon, if you really stop and think about it. When I came out, the very first thing that my cult pastor called and asked me was, how do they baptize? Your children, if they get baptized, that they'll never make the bride of Christ. That's the demon. It's an incantation. William Branham taught Jesus only, or oneness, as some of you refer to it, many times throughout his ministry. Although, he does have a few Trinitarian sermons that he preaches to attract greater crowds. According to what he learned from the Azusa Street people, the best incantation that he found to harness this power was Jesus only. So William Branham used it. But you must understand that baptism is a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about scriptural New Testament baptism. Paul says that the children of Israel in the Old Testament were baptized by the Red Sea. So I'll ask you this. Did Moses stand there with his staff over the people and say, I now baptize you in the name of Jehovah because the Jehovah's Witnesses will one day teach William Branham that Jehovah of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New Testament? I don't think he did. Moses led the people, and Moses did not place them under an enchantment. Moses did not read incantations. John the Baptist started baptizing before he even met the Messiah. His message was very simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was sent to forerun the Christ and to prepare the way for the king. He was sent because the children of Israel had turned the book of the law into an incantation. They were condemned for following the letter of the law, what's written, and not the underlying meaning. They had totally forgotten why the law was written. The Pharisees were condemned for doing the exact same thing that William Branham did. Cult pastors will tell you 
that you must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Following after great and mighty powerful Oz, but they're ignoring the words of Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself in the Great Commission, Go forth being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, as the up-to-date translations say. Now don't misunderstand. I'm not promoting a different incantation during baptism. I'm not trying to say that if you were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you're wrong and you should be rebaptized. That's not it. That is demonic. That comes from, from the deceiver, directly from the receiver, and this deceiver was conquered on Calvary. It can only take a grasp on you if you worship it. That's why William Branham said it has the people under control. If you use an incantation of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're just as wrong as using an incantation of the name of Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ. William Branham added a word to what the scriptures actually say. But see, Paul got upset. People started doing this in Corinth. It's in the Bible. You can read about it. It's the very first part of the book. It's in the very first chapter, 1 Corinthians 1. Some of Chloe's people notified Paul that men, men were acting like William Branham. They were causing divisions. They were severing the body of Jesus Christ. Just like William Branham and just like the other cult masterminds that Branham followed. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is a quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Think of the ones that he just listed. Paul asks, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may understand or say that you were baptized in my name. He says, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. And beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Think about what Satan, the only thing Satan can try to do in this world. He's already been defeated. The only thing Satan can do is to try to empty the cross of its power. And he's doing it. But he's only doing it through people who make the book a book of incantation. Think of this. Paul did not make a doctrine out of baptizing, and he only baptized just a few people. But listen to these words. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. So whose name did Paul baptize in? Did he baptize... Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or did he baptize Jesus Christ, or did he baptize Paul? 
Paul does not teach incantations from the good book of spells. Paul teaches salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He actually blasts these men for causing divisions over baptism. He blasts those that were baptized in the name of other men. And if you're wondering what I just said there, <laughs> the name, the word name, meant authority. Branham uses examples like the name of the mayor of the city, mocking those who don't adhere to his incantation. What is the name of the mayor of the city? It's Bob Jones, whoever he said, I can't remember. But that is twisted. He has got you to thinking about the letter of the law, the letter of the book, the letter of the name. But what about this? Why did he not use this example? Open up in the name of the law. What is the name of the law? There is a name. It's the Jeffersonville Police Department. But the name means authority. It's not the, the letters of the name that give power. It is the name or the authority of God that that name represents. That God that gives the power. If God is the Father, then there is power. If God is the Son, who is one with the Father, then there is power. If God is the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus said the Father would send and dwell within us, and these three are one, then there is power. And if you believe it any other way than the Bible teaches, there's limited power because it's for that elemental spirit. Not the power that William Branham tried to conjure up either. Branham used his incantations because it was learned to be very powerful in the divine healing movement. Look at each one of them in that movement. He followed in the way of John Alexander Dowie, who had a, a healing ministry that dwarfed William Branham. The entire city of Zion, Illinois, over a hundred thousand people were set up in a commune following this great healer. Branham's little Goshen, as he called it, Prescott, Arizona, was just a little handful of people. But both were wrong. Both claimed to be Malachi 4. Both claimed to be Elijah the prophet. And William Branham claimed to be the Elisha to Dowie's Elijah when he lied about his birth date. Both were trying to be Elijah the sorcerer of healing. You with sickness, you who have sat there in complete spiritual pain and agony because your disease continues to persist. You who think that you must not be living right because your healing has not saved you from your awful, dreadful disease, and you sit there in mourning. I have family members like this. They're in pain because their body does not heal. Oh no, something must be wrong. I've got something wrong in my life. I don't have enough faith in the prophet. Have you ever stopped to consider that your healing, though it's awful, your healing might be a testimony to another's faith? 
Here's a person struggling. Here's a person with a sickness that they know is going to continue and persist, yet they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it. God does not want us to be sick. That part William Branham did get right, I will admit. But we are not in the coming kingdom. That's the reason for the word coming in the coming kingdom. These bodies, these bodies that we live in, are simply flesh and bone. There's nothing to them. When the spirit leaves, look at the decaying body. It looks nothing like the person that was in it. These bodies do not matter one way or another in God's master plan. Isn't the soul much more important than the flesh? If God can use our flesh so that another's soul can be saved, how much more blessed will it be? Doesn't it seem just a little bit selfish to think that we place so much emphasis on these earthly bodies that we ignore the souls that are imprisoned by sin that entered in the world in the Garden of Eden. We're just one single grain of sand in a thousand times ten thousand beaches of sand spread out since the beginning of time. Our souls are eternal, but our flesh is just for a short time. Wouldn't you rather spread the gospel of Jesus Christ which can save the souls of the lost and dying, which can save those in the world, wouldn't you rather serve Jesus Christ and spread the gospel rather than spread incantations that might just heal our body? I had one sister write to me, and she can see these things. She can see all of the problems that are involved in this ministry. She's in Arizona. She can see what happened in Prescott. She can see all of the prophecies, how twisted they are, how they change over time. She can see all of this. But she stays in the message for one reason. Her body suffers cancer. And her cancer was sent into remission in a cult church. And she knows it's wrong. You can hear it in her voice that it's wrong. But if she gives it up, that cancer might just come back. Wouldn't you rather forfeit your health and save just one single lost soul? Wouldn't it be much better sitting on the other side, putting your arms around that one soul that you led to Christ? Wouldn't it be better sitting there knowing that this soul that you're hugging was led to Christ because of your pain and suffering, like Christ suffered on the cross for you, knowing that they will spend eternity with you in heaven? Or would you rather sit up there in your little corner of heaven, looking down at them suffering in the pits of hell, because you decided to take the easy route and choose an incantation for the healing of your body down below? that was only a suit of clothes for just a short period of time. Which would you rather? Oh.